Here it is, Patrick. The ultimate prank. Invisible spray. What are we gonna do with it? I know. We'll go spray the park bench and then sit on it. And when people walk by, we'll be floating in midair. They're floating in midair! Ahoy, mateys, and welcome again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your host, Captain Eric, and it is episode 128 of the Squarecast. We are finishing our sale through the third season today. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. Pranks a lot. The final episode, SpongeBob's third season, and also the final episode for a long time that would feature any main contributions from series creator Steven Hillenburg who, of course, would finish up with the third season in 2002 to focus on the SpongeBob SquarePants movie for its 2004 release, which, in Hillenburg's mind, was the end of the series. We have Pranks-A-Lot, which, of course, is the final episode of the TV series, but the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is, is a bit of a finality for the SpongeBob world. Plankton digging up his, his final plan, actually getting the Krabby Patty formula, making Krabby Patties, seeing it through to where he's actually in control of Bikini Bottom, and then, you know, SpongeBob finally becoming manager of a restaurant that we never see for the rest of the, of the series. That was Steven Hillenburg's idea, but also knew, hey, if Nickelodeon is going to continue this show, it's going to have to stay fresh. It's going to have to see new blood through it because it's going to have to keep engaging viewers and not just rehash the same stories over and over and over again. And for that to happen, there's going to have to be a new captain at the head of the ship. Now, if Hillenburg had gotten his way, this, for all intent and purposes, was the final episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. As far as a series finale is concerned, look, there are rare very rare, perfect series finales. Even when that comes to mind, I can only think of maybe one or two shows that I would I would deem as, you know, decent series finales. Breaking Bad, regular show. I don't know why that's the first two to come to mind, but Ed and Eddie's big picture show, maybe the third, third option there. Either way, this isn't a series finale. SpongeBob SquarePants would go on for many seasons, for many years, and as of the recording of this episode, is still in production with new episodes, new writers, and, and new blood within SpongeBob, continuing it for a whole new generation. But I'm sure there is a uh, a multiverse out there where where this was just the final episode. Nickelodeon would have never advertised it as a series finale. Let, let me also make that clear, too. Uh, they never did that with most of their final episodes of cartoons. It would just be a new episode, even though it was the final episode. Sometimes the final episode might get a bigger promotion than others, but for for a lot of Nicktoons, the final episode was just, hey, new episode this Friday. That was it. Just part of the course. No special fanfare. The episode would air. It would just happen, and then it'd be over, and that was it. Nickelodeon would never make mention as the show being over. It would just air in reruns, slowly wean itself off of the network, and then it would probably be more seen on Nicktoons Network and then on streaming services. So in that multiverse, if Hillenburg had gotten his way, this episode just airs. The SpongeBob SquarePants movie comes out, is as successful as it was, and who knows what happens in that world? Because guess what? 
in our world, Steven Hillenburg eventually came back to the series. Eventually, he felt that there was more to contribute and more he could do. And and that's exciting. That is exciting. You know, for as long as uh, the trip in One Piece has been, for those who are following uh, Luffy and the Straw Hat Pirates, you know, I, I have my own journey in front of me as well. And for as long as it may be, I can see some treacherous waters, but I also see some pretty exciting things long on the far other side of this adventure. So uh, the end of season three is is not going to be any bigger than the end of season four and season five. It's it's big, obviously, for, for certain reasons of, of this being Hillenburg's last time being uh, noted as the executive producer at the end of the series. Among a few other names that we have been very accustomed to to the show up to this point that we won't be seeing as as main contributors on the show anymore. In fact, this is the last episode to have Derek Dryman, Caleb Muner, Carson Kugler, Ken Osborne, and Meriwether Williams's name in the opening credits. And and those are names that for longtime listeners of the show, or even if you stopped, I, those are names I've been saying since season one. So, um. Now, I'm going to have a separate episode of the Squarecast kind of just divulging these, you know, we're, we're ending the, the golden era, the golden age of SpongeBob. We're going to have an episode kind of going over that and giving credit to all of these names and, and all of the work they've done proper uh, instead of just, you know, dumping that here on, on the Pranks-A-Lot episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but yeah. This is this is a this is a, a big episode in in a small but big way. It is also the easiest episode of SpongeBob SquarePants to be drawn. I got to imagine in the show's history, as I imagine the uh, animation department doing backflips over the uh, the content in this episode. Uh, this episode pranks a lot. First premiered in America on October eleventh, two thousand four. Although it first premiered in Canada. Our Neighbors to the North on November 19th, 2002. Yeah. Think about that. Think about that gap. Now, Nickelodeon in, in the United States were stretching out the airings of, I mean, <laughs> they were also juggling a lot of the episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants throughout the months, throughout the years, first uh, few seasons here. And, and it's not uncommon for that to happen now, for seasons to air out of order. Um, to just fit different, you know, times, those, those special episodes, especially you want to talk about, <laughs> you want to talk about an episode getting aired out of order, uh, not to divulge from SpongeBob, but since the specter deflector by name is mentioned in this episode, I think it's fair to mention the Danny Phantom, uh, uh, undergrowth episode, uh, urban jungle, a part of the third season of Danny Phantom. I think it was like episode five or six of Danny Phantom of, of that season. And even though you can certainly enjoy episodes of Danny Phantom without watching episode to episode, it wasn't that much of a serialized show though. It was, it did keep continuity happening, including certain people that Danny had met in previous episodes that for some reason, this was the first episode of season three 
that Nickelodeon was airing. They just promoted it as this big special, even though it was just a, a normal episode of Danny Phantom, but they made a big deal out of it, and they never aired those previous episodes of season three, so there were moments in this episode that just, you, everybody was lost, like, okay, they're just dumping this stuff on us, like, all right, like, are they gaslighting us and saying that this stuff happened earlier, and it, it did, but we never got those episodes before. That happens all the time in SpongeBob, but usually those big episodes, you know, there's, there isn't really continuity and, and serialized content between SpongeBob that you have to follow. Although, I mean, coming up to the title zone this uh, this upcoming fall, I, I don't know. Things might, might get more canonized and connected than we really know or expect. So I'm sure we'll find out more of that. But on to pranks a lot. Uh, to give credit, this also aired in the UK and in Ireland on May 10th, 2003. In Australia on August 6th, 2003, and it actually premiered in the United States on January 6th, 2004 uh, through DVD. It's one of those episodes that if you happen to uh, purchase a SpongeBob DVD ahead of time, it was one of the episodes included and, and you just got to enjoy it long before it officially premiered on Nickelodeon. This episode was written by Paul Tibbet, Kent Osborne, and Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artists are Carson Kugler, Caleb Muner, and William Reese. Our storyboard directors are Paul Tibbet and Kent Osborne. Our animation director is Andrew Overtoom. Our creative director is Derek Dryman, and our executive producer is Steven Hillenberg. I think it's interesting that in the first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, not only are we introduced to SpongeBob, but we're introduced to a new location within Bikini Bottom, the Krusty Krab. Now, the characters know about it ahead of time, but hey, as the viewer, this is our introduction to the Krusty Krab. And here in what was Steven Hillenberg's last episode of SpongeBob, we are introduced to a new location in Bikini Bottom and a new character within that location. The location I'm talking about is the Palace of Pranks. And unlike the Krusty Krab, which was very unwelcome to SpongeBob, uh, mainly due to Squidward, Mr. Krab seemed pretty welcome. Of course, hey, as long as you have a dollar in your pocket, you're welcome inside the Krusty Krab. And it was mainly Squidward, obviously because he's neighbors with SpongeBob, that uh, didn't want him being there, and that rubbed off on Mr. Krabs because, hey, Mr. Krabs has Squidward as a worker, trusts him, trusts his opinion, doesn't want SpongeBob there. But in this last episode, SpongeBob is not only welcome at the Palace of Pranks, but the owner, Frank, absolutely loves SpongeBob because SpongeBob is his number one customer. So this is where SpongeBob, if he has any extra income whatsoever, he is spending it at the Palace of Pranks. Uh, he sees Frank as the absolute king of pranks, the prank master, and that he has done it all. He has seen it all, done it all. And uh, I, I doubt that, but I'm also not going to discredit uh, Frank's, you know, his black belt and, and prankery, as game recognizes game, because as a black belt myself, I can, I can see a man of an acquired taste. Uh, as far as the pranks I have pulled in my life, uh, I, I certainly could write a book where each chapter tells a different prank I have pulled. As through my uh, younger years and adolescence into my teenage days, 
uh, I I was a bit of a Bart Simpson, a bit of a menace through the uh, through the neighborhoods, ding dong ditch, prank calls, even to the point that when I first had the ability to drive, my friends and I would go and prank every single drive through in what apparently is the the capital of of fast food drive throughs in our uh, in our state. Um, not only that, I think it has the Guinness Book World Record for like most like fast food chains in a square mile or something. So we would just drive around in in I and I swear I have people I could call and and verify this even right now. But at the time, my uh, my first vehicle was from my grandfather. It was a 1997 Oldsmobile LSS, an absolutely fantastic luxury car that my grandfather took care of. But unfortunately, didn't take care of it enough in the colder climates up in Vermont because it was it was rusting from like the outside. But the inside, man, he took care of that thing. And the way it drove, my friends would all call it the boat, which is honestly where the name Captain Eric came from. So in an interesting way, right here in, in the end of, of my third season, sharing some information for you. Um, yeah, no, the, the way it drove on highways and on long roads, it, it just, it cruised. It, it had a smoothness to it, and it just, there was an almost slight rocking, not enough to make, yeah, I'm not, like, bringing that up to say, like, seasickness or anything like that, not that kind of boat action, but it, it had a movement about it that when my friends once mentioned that it was, it was boat-like, like a speedboat, uh, that's, that's what it was deemed, and... Captain Eric was kind of born in that way, in some regard. But yeah, we would drive that boat around to all the different fast food chains, and just very light pranks, nothing nothing serious, nothing crazy, not to get anyone uh, you know, freaked out or the cops called. We, we just had very, you know, small, mindful pranks. For example, I worked for one of these fast food chains, uh, something that America runs on, and I knew that we had a ton of discontinued items, donuts, drinks. Oops, did I just name drop something? Um, but I knew a lot that we were out of. So even going to one of their drive throughs which, I mean, in that, that town, there was like 10 of them. Uh, you just go up and you just start ordering all this stuff that they don't make. And if you just keep going, the person can't really cut you off and they might try. And uh, yeah, that's just a very light prank. You get a laugh out of it. You drive on. And hopefully, in some regard, in some time, the person on the other end of a good prank can see the humor of it. That's that's the sign of a good prank, is if somebody can eventually just go, oh my goodness, like, wow, that, that was really good. Or if they just even laugh at it, that's, hey, that's all you can really ask for. Um, as far as ding-dong ditching is concerned, I would really only try to hit people I knew so that if I did get caught, I wouldn't have to deal with somebody I didn't know. There was more of a, a fear of that. I'm not saying I didn't do that, but I, I didn't like the feeling. Uh, but yeah, one of my best friend's uh, dads, we uh, we ding-donged his house so much in one night. Like, we would wait in, in very uh, very mindful intervals across the street into when we would ring that doorbell. But eventually, this man got so fed up that he came outside, and this was like one in the morning, so it it wasn't like a an appropriate time to be doing this, I acknowledge, but uh, came outside in his whitey tighties with a bat, 
like a Louisville slugger on the front lawn and just look like we're out uh, across the street in the bushes just staring at him like, oh, my goodness, does he see us? And he's just looking around, can't see a soul in the streets, in the in the bushes, anywhere. And eventually he just yells out, you goddamn kids! And we were laughing in the bushes across the street. And, uh, you know, hey, eventually, years later, when we finally told uh, uh, good old Neil about what had happened, he laughed about it. I, he absolutely laughed about it. So... A good prank, even even if it takes time. Somebody somebody on the other end will acknowledge that it's good, but a bad prank can always have repercussions. You gotta think about these things before you follow through. If you have a uh, a prankster in your soul, and this is coming from from someone with a black belt in it, I I will say you you have to be mindful on what you're doing and who you're doing it to. You mess with the wrong person. Some people don't have a comedic outlook. And sometimes if you don't think of what you're doing, your prank may be really hurtful and uh, and could really cause harm to people. So if you are pranking anyone out there, keep things light. Be on the frank side of things. Other than one of his items, which we will, uh, we will get to. But talking about not thinking of a prank through... And, and how people can handle it. Look at the first prank that happens in this episode. SpongeBob pulls out the the classic, you know, spring snakes jumping out of a can gag. Where you hand somebody a can and they open it up and they're supposed to get spooked by the, the snakes. Uh, it's, a, it's a can of C-nut brittle that even though Patrick has apparently already been fooled with this prank, just goes ham anytime he sees a, a can of C-nut brittle, opens it up. And doesn't even get scared of the of the snakes that pop out. Is just upset and even cries over over their not being seen up brittle inside of the can. So you can really hurt somebody's feelings, even with a harmless prank. And I'm I'm telling you that from experience. I I have pranks that I would say have been completely harmless. But hey, some some people take things the wrong way. That's why you have to be careful. You got to be mindful and especially learn from your mistakes. But uh, as as SpongeBob is exploring the store, Patrick gets fooled with another Cena brittle can, which I got to imagine he just must have seen the entire uh, shelf of them went nuts, and uh, yeah, what what a what a dud for him. But as uh, Frank is introduced, this eye patched elderly fish, who just clearly had has a has a heart of gold, just has a lot of love in his soul for laughter. I mean, to the point that. He now owns the Palace of Pranks, an entire novelty store of all these like cheap gags, which I can't tell you the last time I was in an actual like gag store like this, like a prank store. I, I've been in a magic shop once. I would say other than a, a Halloween store, it's probably the closest to the Palace of Pranks that, uh, that I've ever been into. But I, it, does anyone out there know of an actual like, store like this, like a prank shop. I've seen it so many times in cartoons, and I, I just, in my life, I've never come across one. I'm sure they exist. I just, I wonder how close they are to me. Uh, like, genuine, you know, as as goofy as some of the stuff is in here, that's what I'm talking about, including Frank's opening gag, the classic joy buzzer, 
um, which I, I have also seen in so many cartoons. Like, I feel like that's a classic, like, Looney Tunes-level gag. But uh, I always feel like the ones that I've seen in person, you know, they're, they're plastic, and they don't really shock. I've, I've always wanted to get my hands on a, a real classic-style joy buzzer, really give somebody that jolt. Uh, I don't want to be like Harley Race and walk around with an actual, like, one of those classic tasers. The one that when you turn them on, they, they have that really uh, disgusting sounding noise. Ugh, hate it. But Frank here, voiced by D. Bradley Baker, who we have mentioned many times, many times on the Squarecast. One of the greatest voice actors of our time, still, still ongoing in the world of voice acting. Uh, but just is is known for so many characters, even in the world of Bikini Bottom. To give him credit, Squilliam Fancy Son, Bubble Bass, and Perch Perkins, among many other fish within Bikini Bottom, including Frank, the owner and proprietor of the Palace of Pranks. But as he is excited to show off a few other new items that have come into the store, he brings the boys over to the counter and shows off exploding chewing gum, which... I, you know, the one gum-related prank that comes to mind that I know of are those little, like, fake packs of gum that have the one stick pulling out that uh, it gives you an electric shock when somebody pulls it as it completes the connection when you when you pull it out to a certain point and it gives the person holding it a bit of a jolt there. That's the first gum-related prank that comes to mind. I, I really don't know of, a, of an exploding chewing gum prank equivalent. Maybe some, like, fake gum... Like, Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans, but just the gum version of that where you hand somebody, you're like, oh, yeah, this is cherry. And they're like, no, it's blood. Ha, you got to chew that now. And maybe not exactly uh, that flavor, but there's got to be some uh, fake gum flavors out there that are meant for pranking. Uh, sorry to any of the vampires out there, especially Nosferatu. Sorry, sorry to you, bud. Uh, maybe, maybe blood gum does exist. I don't know. But anyway, so we get to the exploding gum, which is the uh, an interesting prank. Uh, SpongeBob apparently only has one dollar on him, or he only wants to spend one dollar at this time because he asks, "What will a dollar get him?" A, <laughs> and this is a great gag, but a dollar will get you a fake dollar, and you can fool people into thinking that you have a dollar, or you can give it to them and go, "Ha, that's fake." Uh, so. <laughs> Frank is apparently selling counterfeit dollars at the Palace of Pranks that cost a dollar. There's no reason to to do this other than if you just need a, a prop dollar and you don't want to, you know, tear a real one. I guess the, the transfer is is fair. A dollar for a dollar. Uh, a whoopee cushion apparently costs a dollar these days. And that's a that's a good classic prank. And I also know that there are plenty of teachers out there who do not like the whoopee cushion. And yes, I have pulled a whoopee cushion on a teacher prank at least twice, and one of them was a real good sport about it. I had this one whoopee cushion that was like a guaranteed, it, it was made in like the late 90s. It wasn't a classic whoopee cushion that you blew up. It was one that would like, re-expand itself, but it was guaranteed every time somebody sat down on it to get a good-sounding fart noise. And uh, and at least one teacher really enjoyed having that moment and having all the kids laugh for them sitting down and... And then all the kids would laugh. 
On the other hand, there was another teacher that did not find that amusing whatsoever, and they were completely embarrassed by the idea of farting. I'm sure they would laugh about it now. I'm sure of it, but uh, but yeah, they were they were certainly not happy about that then. Uh, they they pass on the whoopee cushion, uh, fake vomit, which is a classic gag. It's a classic prank. I've seen fake vomit sold in in novelty uh, novelty sections of shops like Spencer's Gifts. But then also, when uh, when the boys pass on the fake vomit, Frank has real vomit, which uh, just for you SpongeBob aficionados out there is our first ever appearance of fake vomit in a SpongeBob SquarePants episode. <laughs> but Frank has saved the best for last of, of some products for the boys. The piece of la resistance of his collection. For any master prankster, the invisible spray. Apparently a paint that, when applied, can make any surface translucent. Completely translucent. And all of a sudden, SpongeBob has more than one dollar because he buys the invisible spray. The original plan for SpongeBob and Patrick, in their thoughts, was to spray a park bench and sit on it and just freak out all the other citizens of Bikini Bottom into thinking that they're floating. And that was their whole idea for the spray. Once they got it, that was the one prank they came up with. But Frank had warned them. Frank of the Palace of Pranks warned them that the uh, the paint on this product stains clothing. And with that in mind, Patrick is extra careful before they're ever even going to use this paint as he just removes his pants. And we have ourselves a naked Patrick where once SpongeBob is reminded of the possibility of, of this staining their clothes, also removes his pants as well, SpongeBob Naked Pants, which... By the way, one of the the working titles for this episode apparently was at one point Naked Pants, as some streaming services have listed Naked Pants as this episode, and and it's been found in some certain regards. So uh, we have here SpongeBob Naked Pants and Patrick Naked Star and their clothes on the ground, and before they could even spray the park bench, end up spraying their clothing. And now they're stuck naked fighting over this can of, uh, of paint in which a bus of, I guess they're doing a tour of Bikini Bottom or they're just having a moment seeing these two naked idiots fighting over this can of spray paint. Uh, they, they stop and, and, you know, announce it pretty much for all of these people to take pictures. Fortunately for you, I, uh, I don't have any stories to bring up of, of a loss of clothing and, and having to, to scurry around in the nude so consider yourself lucky uh but lucky for spongebob and patrick they don't have to worry about being seen as they have a can of invisible spray and one after another they spray each other down uh angrily at first they're not really you know doing this for a purpose other than oh you sprayed me i'm spraying you and it just goes back and forth until all of a sudden both SpongeBob and Patrick are completely invisible. And this is where the animators took a breath, opened up the shades, saw the sunshine, as for the rest of the episode, for the most part, there is no SpongeBob and Patrick in physical appearance. We hear SpongeBob and Patrick 
Trust me, Tom Kenny and Bill Fagerbaki are not taking a day off on this episode. The animators for them certainly are. But SpongeBob and Patrick are completely invisible. And it's just so funny to have the backgrounds just, you have these zoom in shots. They animate it, the backgrounds in the exact same way they would as if the two characters were having a conversation side by side. And it's, it's hilarious. There's no, there's no character models. And through an interaction with somebody in Bikini Bottom, discovered the possibilities of the prank that they have fallen into. They don't have to just go sit on an invisible bench to pull a prank. Since they're invisible, they themselves are the prank and were perceived as ghosts. Which, I mean, if we're on the subject as far as uh, as ghosts are concerned, I can't be a person that says, no, they don't exist. I, I don't have enough evidence to say that. There are more than enough pieces of video evidence online and and I'm not I'm not just saying like fake level stuff paranormal activity oh that there's a string in there uh go and go and look up nukes top five if you want to see some videos a very a very uh objective view at videos that are sent in from supermarkets from cctv cameras video feeds that can't be edited I, I don't know there's just there's enough smoke out there to make me go there's something I just don't know what it is but I can't say that there's nothing because there's some, there's something, but it's certainly not people spraying themselves down with invisible spray or anybody using an invisible cloak for that matter. But it's really funny to see SpongeBob and Patrick have such enthusiasm to spook people as ghosts when they've had the ability under the tutelage of the flying Dutchman to scare the citizens of bikini bottom. And they just couldn't do it right. Maybe it's just because they were being seen and the only real way to effectively scare people with Spongebob and Patrick is to not see him. Maybe that was just the missing cure all along, Flying Dutchman, but I, I think he'd be proud with what they're able to accomplish in this episode. But they start off with Sandy off the bat, who I was shocked to hear this piece of information, but this is the first time in the third season of Spongebob Squarepants that we're visiting Sandy's tree dome, which feels wrong. But then I, I went back and I couldn't find an episode in which we really hung out with Sandy or did anything with her. And it just, maybe they felt like they exhausted too much of Sandy throughout the second season and just decided to kind of push her to the background a bit more because, man, if there's one character in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie that really gets the shaft on on their appearance... It's Sandy, who gets pretty much two lines throughout the movie and is completely forgotten about. The most interesting aspect of, of the takeover of Bikini Bottom would have been how Plankton took control of Sandy, who up to that point, we were told, is the strongest character in Bikini Bottom and then is just is ignored. Maybe they thought they, they overused her. They, they just made her too strong, too powerful. She's just got to take a back seat. I have no idea. It would be interesting to ask those behind the scenes what what they thought of Sandy throughout this third season, but yeah, this was a uh, this was the one appearance of the tree dome in which SpongeBob and Patrick go into her treehouse. By the way, somehow without their helmets, because they ran out of invisible spray, and also knowing what we know later in the episode, water 
was obviously going to wash off any of the paint that was on their faces. So if they put on those helmets, their faces would be seen. And they would just be heads floating in a bowl, which probably still would have scared Sandy. But I digress. It's interesting. They went in, uh, they went in completely dry on this one. Somehow they were also able to change all of Sandy's pictures into pictures of Patrick uh, and don a, a sheet look over themselves to give off the impression that they are they are terrible ghosts or fake ghosts hiding in sheets, very much reminding me of of Beetlejuice, specifically the Maitlands and their uh, their first attempt at haunting the Dietzes out of their house and and donning like just classic sheets that when photographed can't be seen and just seem like actual floating sheets. And that's what happens here is Sandy rips off the sheets. She hears SpongeBob and Patrick, feels comfortable, like, all right, you guys, you're, you're just trying to spook me, pulls off the sheets and sees nothing. And Sandy runs out of the treehouse into an escape pod, out of the tree dome, out of the ocean, landing all the way back in Texas. Which is really interesting if if Sandy had not appeared later on in the episode, if, if that was our last shot of Sandy, it would have almost solidified a bit of this being a, a final episode, not given the fact that Sandy would also appear in the SpongeBob movie. But, I mean, did she? I don't know. Right after Sandy, they decide to go after Mrs. Puff, who they just eat up her chocolate cake that she was about to enjoy and blows up as she usually does as the puffer fish uh, that she is. But this is also the first time that we're seeing her deflate back down to size, where she literally deflates almost like a balloon, where she's just a flat creature right after that happens. Then they go after Squidward. Squidward is the next one of their wrath. Very simple little paint job of a, of a curly mustache on, on Squidward, disrupting his uh, little paint session can send him running straight out of his Easter Island head. And we are told that every citizen in Bikini Bottom has been scared or spooked by this ghost epidemic other than one man. The news is announcing that one man is the only one to not be spooked by ghosts. It's like it's announcing to the world, like, hey, the ghosts should come attack this guy. But it's the one, the only Mr. Krabs. Apparently, Mr. Krabs is the only one in town and is even announcing to the world through the newspaper that there's just no way that he's going to get scared, almost like as a challenge to the ghost. All right, that moved on its own. Anyway, since Mr. Krabs has been built up as the final target for SpongeBob and Patrick, we now visit the Krusty Krab and see to the extent as to how serious Mr. Krabs takes his anti-ghost mentality. It's not just for him to say, oh, I don't believe in ghosts and move on. In some regard, he actually does believe in some supernatural presence, but just believes I don't think he could get spooked by it because he has a whole laundry list of items on his person that are meant to keep ghosts away or supernatural beings. Wearing a spotted handkerchief, uh, and as his quote is, no ghost will come near a fella as long as he has these items. A spotted handkerchief on, carrying a dried-up sea leprechaun, wearing a gold necklace, and I gotta just say, foxy grandpa indeed, am I right, ladies? <whistles> wearing his pants in a Melvin knot, 
which apparently means stringing up his underwear in a rope where it's like knotted up in a and like giving himself a wedgie kind of way. Uh, so yeah, the Melvin knot wearing his shivering timber brace, which appears to be shackles around his ankles, a, a more wooden kind of shackle, uh, wearing a piece of duct tape on the back of his neck to cover the hairs. And for those that don't get that, that's a, a reference to, to those who, you know, feel a cold presence, you know, you know, feel the hairs on the back of your neck rise a little bit. It's that goosebumps feeling. Uh, yeah, that's that's in reference to that. So him him kind of keeping those hairs down so he doesn't have to feel that. Wearing a suit of anti-ghost armor, which I got to say, isn't anything you're going to find in the Fenton Works lab for anti-ghost armor as it's just a wooden barrel with some sort of headpiece. And most importantly, his Spectre Deflector, which is a piece of ghost hunting material found in the Fenton Works lab. More of a belt, but for Mr. Krabs, it is simply a paddle ball, which is just interesting. I, I wonder if it's going to work as the ghosts have made their way to the Krusty Krab and are bringing a haunting to Mr. Krabs, who apparently is not as tough against ghosts as he bolstered to be. He, he actually turns out to be pretty afraid of them. Uh, and SpongeBob and Patrick even go to the point of potentially burning an actual dollar in front of Mr. Krabs. Although, I have to imagine that it's probably the fake dollar. They they wouldn't actually risk a real dollar here. Or maybe they would. It's, it is SpongeBob and Patrick. But when, when a flame is going to be introduced to a dollar, a potential life being for Mr. Krabs, he spares no second in dousing a bucket of water onto that flame, and in doing so, completely takes off the paint of SpongeBob and Patrick, revealing themselves. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! To the man himself, who realizes, oh, the ghosts terrorizing the town are actually SpongeBob and Patrick this entire time, realizes more in his head as he is concocting a scheme while SpongeBob and Patrick are just laughing maniacally at the idea of, of them burning this dollar because they're just still holding it, they're laughing. But as as they come to and realize that the paint has, has been taken off and now they are in front of Mr. Krabs completely nude and also, hey, we are the ghosts that have been terrorizing this town. Though Mr. Krabs lets it be known that he's hip and he can handle a prank, and I do think this is a clear nod to Born Again Crabs and Mr. Crabs in some way getting a bit of revenge here for that for that end moment. For not only putting him through a completely boring night as they promised an exciting one, but for goading him into breaking into his mother's house and breaking into her her drawer with her bloomers. Really things. We hit the jackpot! And causing him that level of embarrassment. Even if it was just his mother that had to know about it, it was still enough that I'm sure that that embarrassment sat with him. And it was in this moment that once the, the paint came off of SpongeBob and Patrick that Mr. Krabs in his head concocted one quick plan as he rest assures SpongeBob and Patrick that he's okay, he's hip, he's fine, he can handle a prank, and they should just leave. 
leave the bathroom. Because they're in the bathroom of the Krusty Krab here. Which, by the way, for this episode, for some reason, the the entrance of this bathroom gets moved over to where Mr. Krabs' office is. Which is just pretty interesting. But uh, as they exit the bathroom, a spotlight is put on to our naked undersea friends as it is revealed that the entire Krusty Krab is filled with the citizens of Bikini Bottom, very much like Culture Shock, where everybody was just at, at all those tables looking at that one stage, and here's the spotlight from Mr. Krabs announcing to everybody, hey, here's your ghosts, the naked SpongeBob and Patrick, try to cover themselves up in various ways, as even Sandy came back from Texas to, to lurk at the two ghosts and somehow whistle at them through her helmet. An incredible feat that only Sandy could do. But this is how the episode ends. The embarrassment of SpongeBob and Patrick. Two characters who, I gotta say, SpongeBob in particular, rarely ever gets a comeuppance uh, in these episodes. Even when he might be the cause of something or the, the introduction of something to another character who eventually has to take a downfall... It's nice that in a light way, SpongeBob has to deal with this level of embarrassment at the end of this episode. And that, my friends, is the end of the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants. We have made it. We have pulled it into port. A time to take a rest and a time to anticipate some new and exciting adventures ahead. Now, before we move on to the fourth season of SpongeBob SquarePants... We're going to have a few other episodes here devoted to other means. Of course, I'm going to be ranking my episodes of the third season next week here on the show. So we'll go through all of the episodes. I'm going to rank them. I may also do a ranking of all the third season here. How does does Captain Eric's list here? I don't want to do that, that right afterwards, but I might slip that in right before season four starts as an extra bonus. Uh, Or I might have that at the end of the season three listings uh, as an extra. I haven't decided just yet, but I will at some point. But we'll have the rankings. We have the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. We have the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game, which will also include any extra smaller SpongeBob games uh, that have been released up to this point. It'll just kind of be a game smorgasbord before we move on. And then I do want to include one episode that focuses more on Steven Hillenburg, his contributions to the show, those who have worked on the show up to this point that I may have not mentioned, and just to kind of wrap a little bow here on the golden era of SpongeBob before we place it down, we we can sit it here and appreciate it, but then we have to move on to newer and fresh territory for SpongeBob SquarePants. Not only that, we're moving on to an almost new art style as a uh, Marker Bob, as he is known as left in season three, and also the ink and paint stylings of of this era of SpongeBob, where we move on to a digital era of SpongeBob SquarePants that we get to enjoy for the next four seasons. A digital version of SpongeBob SquarePants before they eventually bring back that ink and paint method, which I'm I'm so glad they did. But I certainly don't want to disparage anyone who worked in the digital era. There is a lot to love here. And and we're starting out with a banger. I actually enjoy the uh, season four premiere a lot. So it'll be a fun time, but it'll be a bit before we get there. And I thank you for being along for the ride. I thank you for being a part of the Ready Crew. It is always a pleasure. And with that, that's our time together aboard. Thank you for being a part of my Ready Crew. You can reach Captain Eric at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. 
where you can also follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast or on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. Please check out my other podcast this week in Nickelodeon history, dropping every Sunday on most conceivable podcasting platforms. And also don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, where you can also hit that bell so you can be notified anytime the captain puts something out. And also, just so you know, episode 125 is now on YouTube. My interview with Shift, the streamer and the speedrun record holder of Battle for Bikini Bottom, in full video form, a beautiful little world that I've placed Shift and I in, where you can see the captain in full full glory along with Shift. I, I think we had an oh, absolutely wonderful conversation, and I, I hope to one day have him on again with a, a proper episode of SpongeBob that we can we can talk about, and that'll be a that'll be a fun time down the line. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. There's going to be some new uh, designs coming up before the fourth season premiere of the Squarecast. So certainly if you haven't checked Redbubble in a while, go back and check that soon. But as always, anything that comes in from my projects goes directly back into my projects. And it is so appreciated across the board. I love you guys. And thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, this is actually a big deal for me personally because this is uh, this is it. This is like the safe SpongeBob era for me is really over in the terms that we're now getting into seasons where there might be episodes I haven't seen either at all or I haven't seen since it first premiered. I, I have a weird relationship with these next few seasons and I certainly haven't gotten to enjoy the return of Steven Hillenburg knowing that I'm doing this podcast. And honestly, I'd like to have episodes that I haven't watched and get to give you my first impressions here. That That's kind of half the point. So this is exciting. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ready to be done with the safe SpongeBob seasons. Not that I don't like being just super positive all the time, but um, I, I feel like it's almost like your tires can be spinning in the mud sometimes here when it's just giving praise each and every episode because I, I undoubtedly love these seasons and episodes just as much as I'm sure you do. So I, I hope you enjoyed my, my uh, show thus far. Thank you for coming aboard. Thank you for being a part of my life, a part of the Ready Crew. And as always, as I like to end all of my programs, please stay safe out there, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. That Mr. Krabs always looking out for me. What a guy. Yeah. The Krusty Krab presents Live Nude Pranksters, starring the Bikini Bottom Goat.